Father, we again come uh, boldly to you, knowing that in ourselves we have no strength, we have no standing in ourselves, uh, in our nature. We certainly uh, are uh, there, uh, apart from the great work of Christ on the cross, uh, we would have been separated from you forever. And yet, because of that great work, we're able to come to you. Uh, with the very righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore able to come boldly. Boldly is a wonderful word that we're asked to come boldly. So, Father, I, I pray that we would be bold, but only bold uh, in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not in ourselves. So, Father, we, we come with great thanksgiving and praise. Uh, we're thankful for all things, and uh, just uh, commit ourselves anew to you, today as we always do whenever we are reminded of who we are and who you are and uh, consider the magnitude and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great, great person and work. So, Father, we're going to be looking into that more today, and I, I pray that you'd bless us uh, according to your great riches as we open your word, and may we be blessed as well with understanding in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're continuing uh, along today in our studies now, uh, looking at the Millennial Kingdom, a period of 1,000 years promised to the nation of Israel, during which time, of course, the land promises will be completed. Finally, uh, God had promised a land to Abraham, you remember, and to Isaac and to Jacob and their sons. Much more than the land, though, has been promised, and we've been looking at that. Uh, last time we considered uh, Christ as the long-awaited prophet, the prophet that was promised uh, through Moses who would be like Moses in certain ways, but far, far greater. And we looked at that last time. Today we're going to look at Christ the priest, Christ the priest, fulfilling other promises in prophecy concerning the coming 1,000-year millennial kingdom. Next time, Lord willing, Christ the king. So those three offices, Christ as prophet, priest, and king, are all clearly revealed in the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New. And those prophecies have not been fulfilled. Um, in some ways, we know uh, Christ in those roles, right? Uh, but not as he will be revealed to Israel and the nations in the 1,000-year millennial kingdom, because at that point there will be a kingdom established on this earth with all the blessings promised um, fulfilled, right? And Israel will finally receive their inheritance. So today we consider Christ as the priest. Uh, last time we looked at Christ as the prophet, <clears throat> fulfilling that role in the millennial kingdom, and we saw that uh, Christ was uh, and Israel's Messiah, because Israel's Messiah, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ, but how Israel's Messiah was foretold 
in Scripture to be prophet someday in a special sense. And that was foreshadowed. The reality of that was foreshadowed even uh, after the day of Pentecost for a time. And then finally it will be fulfilled. Every promise in that regard will be perfectly and completely fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. And I'm just going to read one verse uh, where we see the the pointer forward there uh, in prophecy. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, verse 15, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken, <laughs> or listen and obey, right? And, and then later he says, I'll raise up to them a prophet, verse 18, from among their brethren, like unto thee, this is God speaking, I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Now, there are a lot of things said there, and there's a lot of details, really, about what uh, is going to happen in the Millennial Kingdom. And you may have read that many times and just kind of passed over it and kind of missed the whole point of it. So uh, one thing that I want to accomplish today is to make it clear, very clear, I hope, exactly uh, how these words will be fulfilled, okay? Because uh, there's quite a lot said there about what that coming prophet will reveal and uh, how that ministry will go. And there are a couple of things mentioned there that you may have miss, missed altogether. I know for a long time I did until finally it became crystal clear in my mind there what this is all about. The key issue there, in addition to there be a revelation of God's will, there was a revelation through Moses. So really what Deuteronomy 18 is saying is that it would be something far greater than Moses revealed, right? And that is kingdom law, of course. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his earthly ministry did reveal much of that, right? What the kingdom law would be like. But the prophets had already revealed much as well, and that would all be fulfilled in the future 1,000-year um, millennial kingdom. But notice there's something mentioned here. It stands out very clearly, and it's critically important for us to understand. And that's that he says obedience will be required to that kingdom law says, I will require it of him. Okay? Now, that's going to prove important, as we shall see. So let's move right along ahead into our teaching for today to see exactly what that's all about. <clears throat> so our outline today will be, uh, simple enough, our Lord Jesus, Israel's long-awaited Messiah priest, priest, so not only prophet, also priest, and we'll consider two orders, O-R-D-E-R-S, two orders, orders of priesthood, two orders. Secondly, two covenants that Scripture reveals, 
to to orders of priests, to covenants, and finally, to sacrifices. What I mean there is types or kinds of sacrifices. Two, in each case, two orders of priesthood, two covenants, and two sacrifices, two sacrificial systems, in other words. Okay, so first of all, our Lord Jesus, Israel's long-awaited Messiah priest, two orders. Okay, now there are in Scripture, and this is something that uh, commentators uh, <clears throat> write much about, probably I would say not enough about, just kind of sometimes skipping past some of what is revealed, but there are in Scripture two types or orders of priesthood. One is according to Aaron. Aaron, you'll remember, uh, Moses' brother, right? Uh, and Aaron was chosen to head up a priesthood, what's called in Scripture an order of priesthood. And that is the priesthood according to Aaron or Levi, alternatively called uh, the Levitical priesthood. So that's one kind of priesthood. The other kind revealed in Scripture is called according to, not Aaron, but according to Melchizedek. <laughs> the order according to Melchizedek. And um, in order to... Um, reach unto this uh, great teaching. By the way, today we cannot really do justice to that because I want our focus to be on something else today. But um, we'll say a few things in passing. But in order to put it all in the right context, I'd like to start out considering the priesthood, which is according to Aaron. Uh, and that has to do with sacrifice, of course, the sacrificial system. Uh laid down through Moses. Okay, and I'd like Linda to read something which puts uh, that sacrificial system and that priesthood, according to Aaron, puts it in a context that we, of course, today, having this great revelation, the completed word of God, we can then uh, understand, whereas back in Moses' day, there was much less understanding since many things hadn't been revealed yet. The Lord Jesus Christ, as the Lamb of God, had not been uh, offered up and uh, gloriously resurrected. And so we're in a unique position today to understand these things. So, Linda, would you please read for us uh, five key verses there in Hebrews chapter 9 um, and verses 11 through 14. But Christ, being come and a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of heifers sprinkled the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Thank you, Linda. Now, that is 
perhaps the greatest statement of all in the entire word of God, detailing really the difference, the profound difference between the Mosaic sacrificial system and the sacrifice uh, of the Lamb of God that actually takes away the sin of the world, right? Uh, the power of Christ's shed blood is of an entirely different kind than the power of sacrificial animals that have been offered up according to Moses' law, right? An entirely different thing indeed. Uh, one actually can thoroughly put away the guilt of sin forever, and the other one cannot, right? One can sanctify, he says, in one way, the blood of bulls and goats, verse 13, uh, and so forth, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, but that's not the spirit, okay? Uh, and the next verse, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So what a difference, uh, the one sacrifice compared to the many, right? Um, and Moses' law is very detailed in laying down all of the rules and the regulations concerning that sacrificial system. Now, why was there a sacrificial system at all? Uh, that's a profound question. And uh, surely, as we see even here from Hebrews chapter 9, uh, one purpose for that was to point forward to the completed uh, and perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not the only purpose, and I wish uh, this were better understood, uh, not only by everyone else, but also by us, also by me. I, every time I study these scriptures, I learn more about these matters because there's a lot revealed in Scripture, but unless we just stop and consider it very carefully, we're going to miss some important truth. It's always that way, isn't it, uh, with the study of God's Word. Now, um, Linda's read a Scripture that contrasts two different uh, sacrifices, right? One which is completed once and for all, the other which was repeated over and over and over again. One could, it says, purify and sanctify and make clean in some sense the flesh, the other, which could cleanse one's spirit, even one's conscience forever. Well, what a difference. Uh, but uh, when we read prophecy, and this is where we're going to mostly focus today, when we read prophecy uh, concerning clearly the future, since these prophecies clearly have never been fulfilled, uh, we learn of a continuing system of sacrifice, uh, not yet established yet, right? And that is the one that will be applicable in the millennial kingdom. And th these are scriptures. Uh, there are many pages in the Old Testament dedicated to this. Right. In fact, nearly all of the last nine chapters of the great prophecy of Ezekiel is dedicated to the temple 
and the sacrificial system that will exist uh, in the millennial kingdom. Okay? Uh, I don't think anyone, at least nobody who takes scripture literally at all, believes that these prophecies have already been fulfilled or that they were somehow in some spiritualized or allegorical way fulfilled uh, in the death of Christ. Uh, there's much detail here. There's no way to uh, allegorize these passages here. In Ezekiel 43, uh, I'm just going to read a couple of verses. You should write this down and study it on your own, but or, or take the notes later and uh, use that as your guide. But Ezekiel chapter 43 tells us much about that sacrificial system that will be yet established in the millennial kingdom by Christ when he returns, right? And what I see there are these verses. He said unto me, Son of man, thus saith the Lord God, these are the ordinances of the altar in the day when they shall make it, to offer burnt offerings thereon and to sprinkle blood thereon. And thou shalt give to the priests, the Levites, that be of the seed of Zadok, which approach unto me to minister unto me, saith the Lord God, a young bullock for a sin offering. And thou shalt take of the blood thereof and put it on the four horns of it and on the four corners of the settle and upon the border around it. Thus thou shalt cleanse and purge it. Then he goes on. There are many verses here. I'm not going to read them. He talks about a sin offering. A bullock was going to be offered and burned on, on the altar. Uh, then he mentions a goat that would be uh, without blemish and without spot that would be offered up. And uh, the altar would be cleansed by the blood of that goat. And then he mentions another bullock and uh, the cleansing of the, uh, the priesthood. Uh, and then um, finally, he says, seven days they shall purge the altar and purify it, and they shall consecrate themselves. And uh, then uh, when these days are expired, it shall be that upon the eighth day and so forward, the priests shall make your burnt offerings upon the altar and your peace offerings, and I will accept you saith the Lord God. So this is a pointing future. It clearly has never been fulfilled, yet it will be fulfilled exactly as written. So it's very clear, at least, and you know, many, many might disagree with what I'm about to say, but I'm just, I'm just saying what's written here. Uh, it's clear that there will be a continuation of animal sacrifices in the coming millennial kingdom. Now, that will be a continuation of the Aaronic kind of priesthood, right? Because that was all about blood sacrifice, right, of animals offered over and over year by year. Um, and so that's revealed here. Now, in your mind and in my mind, therefore, many questions arise. Why the shedding of blood through animal sacrifices when the one Lamb of God has already been sacrificed, right? His blood has already been shed. And uh, that's a question I hope to answer as we go on here, at least uh, to a degree. Notice that the only priests uh, operating there in the kingdom would be the sons of Zadok. 
Okay. Uh, that goes back uh, to the Old Testament. Uh, during the times of David and, and uh, Solomon, there were great rebellions, even David's own sons, in some cases, right? And uh, uh, there was a certain uh, tr- group of priests that distinguished themselves with their purity of worship and obedience to God that singled out. And those were the sons of Zadok. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so here, even here in the millennial kingdom, the sons of Zadok are mentioned. They would be the priests that would be uh, involved in this sacrificial system. So we see that the priesthood, according to Levi or, or according to Aaron, uh, was central in the Mosaic economy. Also, it will be central. There will be a continuation of it uh, in the millennial kingdom. Okay. But there's also another kind of um, priesthood mentioned in the Bible. And uh, this one is very different than the one we've just considered. And uh, Lewis, I'd like you to read a couple of key verses there in uh, Genesis. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, all about the Melchizedekian priesthood. Okay, Lewis. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thy enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Okay. Thank you, Lewis. Okay, so this this um, man shows up out of uh, seemingly out of nowhere, right? Abraham sitting in the tent door uh, in the heat of the day, and uh, this uh, gentleman walks up. It, he's identified to us to be Melchizedek, the king of Salem, right, or Jerusalem. Okay, and. Um, Interestingly, he doesn't bring judgment upon Abram. Abram's a sinner, right? There's no question about it, right? He's a believer. He's believed on the one true God, but he's a sinner. There's nothing here about any kind of uh, way for Abram to uh, to be uh, cleansed of uh, any faults or failures uh, at all, right? Uh, rather, it's just the opposite. It's all about blessing. So the Melchizedekian priest <laughs> is all about blessing. Okay? And notice uh, that uh, he even brings blessing to Abraham, who's a sinner, as I said before. Abraham would have had no uh, uh, doubt about his own condition before the Most High God, but it says here, blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the most high God. Okay. Uh, by the way, I there are two things here, two blessings. One's on Abram's. One, one is directly towards God himself, right? And the first is uh, interesting indeed. We won't comment more on it. It's just that he says, blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor 
of heaven and earth. And you might have thought, oh, that's all about God himself. Of course, he possesses a heaven and the earth. But I believe something else there, if only uh, we might comprehend it better. Someday we will comprehend these things perfectly, of course. But uh, I do believe that uh, Melchizedek was bringing a blessing on Abraham that had an eternal perspective. Uh, and uh, that was that Abraham in the plan of God was uh, a very special person, as all believers are. He says, possessor of heaven and earth even. See, God was working all things uh, for Abram's blessing. And he goes on and mentions uh, that elsewhere in the chapter there, right? Well, he not only delivers Abram's enemies into his hand miraculously, but he, he blesses him. Uh, with countless blessings, even which have an eternal perspective. <laughs> wow, what a what an amazing thing that is. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's another place where we could read about Melchizedek. <clears throat> and I'll just read one verse from Psalm 110. It says, The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is the great... 110th Psalm, it's all about how our Lord Jesus ultimately will defeat all of his enemies, right? And when he sits on a throne in the millennial kingdom, he will reel, uh, rather, he will rule with a rod of iron, he'll rule the nations. But there'll be great blessings brought to God's people through this priesthood. And so he says, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. How many are in the order of Melchizedek in that priesthood? I would say exactly one, <clears throat> because I believe Melchizedek was, in fact, a pre-incarnate son of God. But that's uh, my limited interpretation. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Um so Christ in the coming kingdom will manifest uh, himself as priest, as high priest, and of an entirely different order than that of Aaron. He'll be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And this has to do with God's sovereign will to bless his people, ultimately his people Israel, and even the Gentiles during the kingdom through Israel's obedience. Israel's faith and their obedience, okay, will bring blessing to them and to the world through the high priesthood uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So two orders of priesthood, that of Aaron and that of Melchizedek, are revealed in Scripture. One uh, applies especially to the kingdom, others the other book the, under Moses' law, and then ultimately in the kingdom as well, right? Now our second uh, focus will be on two covenants. Now you all know much about these two covenants. One is called the Mosaic Covenant, and one is called the New Covenant, okay? The Mosaic Covenant is established by God through Moses, and that involves the law, okay? What law? The Mosaic law, right? 
which establishes uh, a number of things, including the entire sacrificial system, the Levitical or the Aaronic sacrificial system, right? As all part of the Old Covenant or Moses' law, right? Then there's the New Covenant, but let's look quickly at the Old Covenant. And uh, Roy, I'd like you to read, if you'd read in Exodus, where it's where the uh, Mosaic Covenant is established initially, Exodus chapter 20, just read verses 1 through 5. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord thy God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children until the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Okay, thank you, Roy. Uh, That's just the beginning of the giving of the law, right? Now, after this, uh, he gets to the commandments that follow along. Really, these first verses are all about the first commandment, right? to worship only the Lord God and not any uh, image uh, or anything of that kind, right? And uh, it's made very clear the Lord God is very, very serious about this, right? He says, I am a jealous God, okay? He shows mercy according to the next verse uh, after where Roy read, but he says, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Okay? And then he says, I will, he will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. And then he goes through the rest of the commandments there, right? And there are ten in all. Okay? Um, I'm leaving the old covenant at that, although, as you well know, there's a whole sacrificial system set up that goes with the law, and that's for a special purpose. And we'll say more about that in a moment. But notice that uh, there's something very important said here, and that is uh, the mercy of the Lord will extend to those that um, that are uh, keeping his commandments. Something about law that you have to always remember is that law makes demands and it promises blessings to those who will obey and it promises the opposite of that, curses to them that will not obey. Okay, that's the way it is with law. And if that's not the case, if you do not have both aspects of that, then you do not have law. Okay, and that has to be kept in mind. Law isn't just, you know, try to do your best. It's nothing like that, especially the law of God. Certainly nothing like that. Okay, okay, so obedience was critical. Now, uh, Patty, I'd like you to read for us. Uh, There are some 
very key verses in Jeremiah that will help us to understand uh, so much. And uh, just read from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 37. And these verses are going to help us understand the major point that we want to make today about the whole purpose of the sacrifices in the millennial kingdom. So, Patty, go ahead with this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances says, Depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, If heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Okay, thank you. That's That's got some really wonderful things in it. I wish we had time to comment more on them, but just notice how it ends there. So he says, if heaven can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out, he'll cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. In other words, uh, mankind today, you know, astrophysicists, uh, uh, whatever, they seem to be, they're so arrogantly claiming to have done all of this, right? Uh, contradicting, of course, uh, the written word of God, which is they haven't even scratched the surface of it, okay? And they should be well aware of that. If they weren't so arrogant, uh, perhaps they would uh, fall down and worship the Lord God, right? But he gave all of these things to be an infinite <laughs> reminder uh, of his glory and power. But notice the the implication here, which is all about Israel in the end and the new covenant. God's promised to fulfill his new covenant towards Israel by his sovereign power. The old covenant, he said, verse 32 there, Isaiah, sorry, uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 32, he says, speaking of the old covenant, which covenant they broke you see that's the key thing here they broke that covenant right and he's holding them accountable in various ways for that but the day will come when it says here in verse 31 i will make a new covenant 
with the House of Israel. And what will be the uh, interesting part of that, at least for our purposes today, the most interesting thing of all, is that they will not break that one. They are going to be obedient, right? They will not break that covenant. Why? Because it says, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And at the beginning of the kingdom, every person will be a believer. The next verse says, right? You won't have to go around asking somebody or, or exhorting, know the Lord. He says, they'll all know me from the least to the greatest. Okay, so the new covenant is going to be very different from the old covenant. Now, we already saw, though, that there will still be sacrifices offered in the new covenant, under the new covenant. The big question then is, why okay and uh so i i just want to make a couple of comments in the remaining time available um and we'll have linda read a final verse in just a moment but in the kingdom uh there will be many still with natural bodies right we've spoken to that often before right they will still have sin natures they will still be inherently imperfect therefore and the law of God is very burdensome, right, for anyone who's uh, in the flesh, as it were, still possessing uh, earthly bodies, right? So it's not sinless perfection that will exist in the millennial kingdom. It is not sinless perfection, but he does say they will be obedient and they will know me. So, uh, therefore... There will be infractions of the law, inevitably, okay? Those are ceremonially polluting. They make a person ceremonially unclean, yeah, just like they did under the Mosaic law, right? Now, no one could be saved according to works ever, right? Uh, so those living under Moses' law, they were not saved by keeping the law, whereas others were lost because they didn't keep it. No, what those sacrifices did was to provide a covering. And there there are key words uh, in Scripture for this covering. Uh, kafar is the Hebrew word. It means uh, uh, a covering. Uh, the blood was uh, shed and provided to, uh, to give that covering, right? And uh, that covering provided a ceremonial cleansing so that there could be fellowship as much as could be uh, under that system, right? For those who were still sinners, right? Okay, so that law looked forward to the completed sacrifice. Nobody was saved by keeping that law. They were only saved by believing on the Lord God, right? So it was their faith that saved them. But the sacrificial system was there to cover their sin and make for a ceremonial uh, kind of fellowship. Now, there are many scriptures uh, that, that are written specifically about this, but um, there's one that I would like um, Linda to read, which explains just in one verse really uh, so much, I think. Uh, Linda, would you read for us uh, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 45, verse 15? And one lamb out of the flock 
out of two hundred, out of the fat pastures of Israel, for a meat offering, and for a burnt offering, and for peace offerings, to make reconciliation for them, saith the Lord God. Okay, so why do they need reconciliation? Uh, by the way, the Hebrew word translated reconciliation here is that word kafar, okay? It's to make an atonement. So many have said that, yes, there will be animal sacrifice. You can't deny that. I mean, the scriptures, unless they're just totally ignored, say there will be animal sacrifices in the millennial kingdom, right? Uh, far after... Christ has shed his blood, right, for the sins of the world, right? But but um, why would there be a need? And the answer is because the people are not able to keep the kingdom law perfectly. They're enabled by the indwelling of God and the overwhelming spirit, right? And they have the law written in their hearts, but that doesn't mean they're perfect, okay? And things become ceremonially unclean in the under the kingdom rule, just like they did under the Mosaic rule. Okay? So, there needs to be ceremonial cleansing. And that's why the same word here for atonement or reconciliation is used in Ezekiel 45, just like it was back there in Leviticus 17.11, where it says they needed to have an atonement made for their souls, and it's only through the shedding of blood that that could be, okay. So, these offerings uh, are much more than memorials. Moses' law and the sacrificial system there pointed forward to the uh, death of Christ someday, right? And in the kingdom, the sacrificial system points backwards, <laughs> looks back to the cross, right? But there's more than just a remembrance, made there. There's actually a reconciliation. There is an atonement. Because God is now allowing sinners to have fellowship with him in that temple at that time. And there is a sacrificial system to make up for the fact that they have failed to keep perfectly the kingdom law. Now you remember the kingdom law is very strong. It has many requirements, right? Uh, Compared to Moses' law, much, much more difficult to keep, right? There'll be many who fall short, but the believers, at least, are going to have the law written in their hearts, and they're going to desire obedience, and they're going to bring forth the sacrifices as needed, okay, when they failed. So that's really the explanation of why there are sacrifices uh, in the Millennial Kingdom. Okay, so that means there's a big difference between sin. All sin has been covered by the shed blood of Christ, right? It's already happened now. It's certainly still a reality during the kingdom. But the infractions of the law are not then sin as such, but just failures, right? And they they needed the blood uh, uh, shed to ceremonially cleanse them uh, for fellowship in that kingdom. Well, I hope this has been helpful to you. We've seen how clearly it's revealed there will be animal sacrifices in the kingdom and there will be a priesthood. Uh, Christ is the high priest 
Yes, according to the order of Melchizedek. And then there will be uh, rulers and princes who actually execute the sacrificial system itself. Okay? And uh, that will uh, allow there to be ceremonial peace and harmony throughout the kingdom time. So, praise the Lord for his grace today, though we're not under these systems. <laughs> there are no sacrifices that need to be brought. You know, we stand gloriously in the full light of the completed sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ without any law having been imposed. Amen. Amen. Liberty. Liberty. But not with license, of course, because indeed God has blessed us with the indwelling spirit, has he not? And uh, he conditions our heart and uh, we are uh, most blessed, most blessed. Praise the Lord. I hope this has been a blessing to you to see exactly what Scripture says. You may still feel like you don't comprehend everything. That's fine. Don't stop studying God's Word, right? Okay, any questions uh, or comments uh, this morning before we uh, go to the Lord in prayer? Okay, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, Thank you for gathering us today. Uh, please write your word on our hearts. May we rightly divide it that we might understand the difference between law and grace, even the difference between kingdom law and grace. For we're not under those rules as Israel someday will be. And uh, at that time, they'll have not only you present, Father God, but uh, they'll have the Holy Spirit in a very special way. You'll have written the law even into their hearts, and uh, you'll be uh, presenting demonstrations of the necessity of the shed blood of Christ and how wonderful that completed sacrifice was. Uh, someday that kingdom will end, and uh, the uh, new kingdom, or rather the new heavens, the new heavens and the new earth will be established uh, in which perfect fellowship will exist indeed with uh, every every believer who's ever lived present in their own uh, special place and ministry. Father, thankful we are that in that day, no one will still possess this nature of sin, which is so degrading, but all will be gloriously uh transformed into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we look forward to see you do all of this in your due time. Thank you for blessing us greatly today under grace, and we do thank you in Christ's precious and holy name.